Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is um, well, is, is dealing with... Um, Difference, and by that I mean a particular set of relationships, and that is relationships to Asian Americans, which has certainly become a sensitive topic here recently. And and so we're just going to walk through this with. Uh, I have four guests, and I'm just going to go in order here. I, I guess it's the order I have. The uh, Mikel Del Rosario is probably familiar to you. He normally sits where I'm sitting uh, as a host for the table, and he works at the center. Welcome, Mikel. Thank you for being a part of our podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. And then Andrew, Andrew Fang, who uh, it works in the center at, at for a year. He worked a couple of years as an intern, and now just he's, he so loves us, he's just hung around with us. Uh, Andrew, great to have you with us. Glad to be here. And Andrew, uh, where are you in your seminary program? I just graduated in May. Okay, congratulations. So we'll give you a high five, a uh, virtual high five. Um, well done. Mikkel, by the way, has been working at the center for, for so many years. I don't know how many it is, Mikkel. Uh, um, I think it was eight. Eight years total, okay, because he helps us, of course, with the table. And then Ruth sings it, as I pronounced that last name correctly? All right, Dr. Bach. Okay, very good. And where are you at the seminary in terms of program? Well, I hope to graduate next year, summer, uh, but I plan to walk in May. So, uh, okay, there you go. So you're you're a child of eschatological hope. Okay, yes. very good. And then Casey Olander, Casey, thank you for being a part of our of our podcast today. Appreciate you having me. Glad to do it. Casey also works with us at the center. She um, keeps all of us organized. Uh, and uh, is also uh, going to be responsible for managing um, the w- our our subscription service that is coming uh, to a theater near you sometime soon. How's that for being specific, right, Casey? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, we are. So let me dive in. Uh, uh, this is a this is a tricky topic in some ways uh, for people because obviously we live in a time in which um, tensions around racial difference uh, are much discussed in our in our context and culture. But normally, at least in our context, it's it tends to be a black white conversation. But in this particular case. More recently, it's become clear that this isn't just a black and white conversation. In fact, Mikkel, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with you, um, and then I'll do the go around. Just make this observation: when we were talking about race several years ago as a staff, um, almost all our conversation was uh, uh, was about the black white relationship, and Mikkel chimed in at one point and said, "I'm a ghost in this room." 
And what he meant was that you're talking about me, but you're not talking about me. We're talking about race relations and the differences between the races, and all our discussion was black and white, and here he was as an Asian out of Filipino background, and uh, and he wasn't being addressed at all. And I think the point was a very, very good one. In fact, it, it, it very much redirected our conversation, broadened it, and actually helped our conversation as a result. So that's a very vague introduction to our topic, but that's kind of where we're headed. So let me let me ask you kind of each in turn um, how you became sensitive or aware of this topic, and maybe you didn't become sensitive or aware to it. It's just been a part of your life. So, um, Mikkel, I'll start with you. Um, how did this topic become an issue of um, uh, of awareness? So maybe that's the way to ask it for you. Well, uh, for those who have seen uh, that particular show that you're talking about, I didn't uh, share my story a little bit that I was born in Illinois, but then moved to the Philippines when I was three years old. And I lived in Maryland for a couple of years as well. And so, interestingly, it was my time uh, living between cultures, uh, the Filipino culture of my family, and more diverse cultures um, in Maryland, um, and then also back in the Philippines, because I also went to a missionary kid school. Um, so many of my friends were Americans, Australians, New Zealanders, Koreans, people from Europe. And so I was surrounded by international uh, people a lot growing up, especially in my, my teenage years. So uh, earlier in my life, it was really uh, made obvious to me, especially in American public school, just how, how different my family was than the broader culture at the, uh, the public school. And then even living in the Philippines, but going to a missionary kid school, being surrounded by uh, many Americans and other um, uh, foreigners in the Philippines, um, that difference was was uh, obvious as well. And then after moving to the United States as an adult, did my undergrad at Biola University in Southern California, um, doing student ministry, seeing how uh, Vietnamese refugees primarily were working with, uh, were relating to uh, the broader culture. And then even as a youth pastor in the San Francisco Bay Area, having a church that was uh, about half Chinese and half uh, white uh, was a, an interesting cultural um, mix as well that just brought home that that difference and those distinctions. And Andrew, same question for you. Yeah, I think just growing up in a Chinese heritage church, um, there would be three congregations, people from kind of the Mandarin-speaking congregation, the Cantonese, and then the English, which primarily would be the youth, the younger generation. And I think growing up now, looking back, is just slowly appreciating our cultures, our generations, and just realizing there was such a gap between the three different uh, almost churches that are ex exist in one building. So I think as we go into global missions, uh, come into seminary and uh, moving to East Asia and coming back, I think just the opportunity to uh, redeem and reconcile, I think just becoming more and more aware there's so much opportunity here rather than to walk away from it to walk towards it. Okay, so this you've actually raised an interesting sub-theme that I do want to kind of touch on as we move through, and that is even within communities there are differences, uh, and particularly in the Chinese community with different languages involved, different customs, different backgrounds, and then you've got the demographic issue of you have one generation, maybe the parents or the grandparents who moved here, and then there are the, those who have lived here all their life who assimilated this culture from the very beginning and the differences that that produced. So this is actually multidimensional. Yes, it's a little bit more complicated, and I think people see just like uh, First Chinese Baptist Church, but it's a little bit more complicated than just the four letters outside. Very good. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Um, Ruth, 
How about you? How did how did how how did the awareness of this come into your life? Well, Doctor Bob, uh, to begin with, I'll just give you a brief intro about myself. Okay. Um, I'm from India. Okay. And if you look at me, um, like most people wouldn't even say that I am Indian or I look Indian. So from the very beginning, being in India and with this looks, I've always faced. Uh, it, the, the reality that I'm different from, you know, the stereotypical Indian. Um, but I was never made aware of that difference because I grew up in the capital in India, in New Delhi. And my friends never, never, you know, um, made me aware that I was different from them in any way. Um, in, I, I didn't feel any discrimination as such. Um, however, when I visited England uh, first time, my sister brought it up and she said that um, people uh, are actually uh, confronting racial issues. And I was very surprised that in a developed country that they would face something like that. Now, uh, having said that, it's not uh, that we in, in India, we do not face these kinds of you know, social economic uh, differences and clashes and uh, conflicts. We do have our own sets of problems being a developing country, a third world country. However, the racial issues that we see in the West, where, whether it's in England or you see here in the US, um, it's, um, it's very different from what we experienced back in India. However, I would also like to mention the fact that for some reason, Asians as such, whether it's Indians or Southeast Asians, um, they do give a lot of emphasis on uh, a white skin. You know, the paler your skin is, they, they regard that as beautiful. So culturally, there is this um, sort of perception that the fairer your skin is, the paler your skin is, you, you are more beautiful. So I come from that culture you know, where uh, we don't have the black and white racist issues, but we do have something uh, of that sort, but in a different way. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so um, my first uh, experience of the Western racial issue was in England. Hmm. Um, and then coming here to the U.S., um, uh, I was very, very surprised, uh, especially the last one year of what has happened. Uh, it, it was like, mind-boggling it, it's at a very different level and a larger scale okay so, we'll come back to that that's actually one of the things i want to raise and and kind of walk through with everybody casey your story yeah so i grew up here in texas and so i think that there are many times in our lives when we find out that other people experience the world differently from us so one of those things for me was uh, moving out of my parents house and going to college or getting married for example and so um, another big one of those was uh, I have done college ministry um, ever since I uh, finished undergrad at UT Dallas. Um, I've done college ministry at a couple of different university campuses. And so there, I think I've really gotten to see um, the nations converge and students can 
realize that, wow, there's people from all different kinds of places, but then even if they're um, from the same country as I am, people still experience the world differently. So I think in a lot of my interactions with students and such a formative time of life in college that that has been really helpful to, to see that, wow, it's really valuable to have these conversations. It's really valuable to understand that other people experience the world differently. Now, um, Andrew alluded to this, and and I want to take a little tighter look at it, and that is, even within the Chinese community, there are awarenesses of differences among the Chinese because of different languages and different cultural backgrounds. So even when we say someone is an Asian American, we're actually hiding something, which is that there is a lot of distinction between the various groups. And so, I mean, I did. I didn't ask you, uh, Casey, what your what your background is in terms of family, ultimately where it, where it came from. But um, uh, but in thinking about this, so we've got you know I, I think about this part of the world. We've got Chinese, Japanese, Filipinos, Koreans, Indians, Indonesians. I mean you know, Myanmarians. I guess that's what you call someone from Myanmar. Malaysians. Uh, we're we're when we say Asian American or or Asian, we actually are um, both revealing and hiding uh, an aspect of the conversation. Um, what does that make any difference to be aware of that? You think? And that's just a wide open question for whoever wants to step into it first, and we'll <laughs> take a shot at seeing what happens. Yes, it does. It does make a difference. So uh, to think about the different categories of all the kinds of people that you just mentioned, Daryl, we have East Asians in, uh, you know, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, and then there's the Southeast Asians, uh, which Filipinos identify as Southeast Asian, uh, Vietnamese, Cambodians, Thai, uh, people who live around there. And then there's the South Asians in India, Pakistan, people in Nepal, Bangladesh. And then there's this whole other thing called Pacific Islander, which as a Filipino is actually quite, uh, kind of weird because we can check Asian on the box on forms, but we could also check Pacific Islander. Sometimes they, they mash those two things up together. So Pacific Islanders are Samoans, Native Hawaiians, and yet Filipinos, sometimes they will put Filipino as a box to force you to check it because um, Filipinos could say, I'm Asian, I'll just check Asian, or they could say Pacific Islander, hence the PI in AAPI. So there's that. And then also because of the Spanish um, uh, colonization in the Philippines, many Filipinos, uh, one of them has Hispanic heritage. And so it's not just that um, my ancestors took a Spanish last name, we really do have ancestry from Spain. And so in some of these forms, I may check Asian on the, the race box, but then it will ask for ethnicity, Hispanic or non-Hispanic, and I'll say Hispanic because mm-hmm. I have ancestry in Spain. Interesting. So um, uh, that, that answer just uh, – I've got about four or five questions coming at my head at once, so let me uh, pick one of them. Uh, and that, let's, let's go back. You used an abbreviation that people may or may not know, AAPI. What does that stand for? So Asian, Asian American, or Pacific Islander. Okay. So it's kind of like a whole bunch of it's all those categories I just mentioned jammed together. Okay. So one one uh, one thing that's not really one thing. Okay. And Andrew, my question for you is um, it's related to this. Is you talked about the differentiation among the Chinese, but don't these groups also differentiate with one another and how they view each other? And so aren't there uh, aren't there kind of, in, for lack of a better description, internal 
uh, internal, I don't know if rivalries is the right word, but internal uh, dynamics that also come with this area that are a part of, uh, of the reality of a person's experience? Yeah, I think even just to go back to the simpler context of a Chinese heritage church, there's a lot of the Hong Kong brothers that came over here as students, and they uh, went into white American churches, um, became inclined to Christ, started house fellowships, and then became churches. So there was kind of like the first wave of Hong Kong, and then there's a Taiwanese American, Taiwanese, and then there's this huge wave of like mainly on Chinese. And then now there's also Vietnamese Chinese, Thai Chinese, uh, Filipino Chinese, all these other Chinese that's kind of like uh, banned under these top three other Chinese. And so, um, and then you add uh, age, um, whether you're first generation, second generation, third generation, um, some of the English youth, the Chinese American youth, they don't even speak any Mandarin at all. So um, it does get a little bit complicated once you go into the building, you figure out which congregation you're going to and then which youth group or um, young adult group you're supposed to be assigned to. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. And so, Ruth, you put that all together, and uh, I think that you've alluded to this already, and this is where I want to pick it up. Uh, the, but with all that that we've just said and all the variation that's, that's represented in, in, in saying Asian, um, uh, this last year has been particularly different. How? Um. You had mentioned in the beginning uh, about Mikhail saying that, you know, he felt like a ghost. That's exactly what I felt when it was going on. I was like, where is the Asian population here? And uh, we're talking just about black and white, but we have other colored people. Uh, I felt that, you know, we were being relegated somewhere in the corner and we were not and we were not heard we were not seen it was just it just became a, an issue of black and white and that was the center stage of every conversations you saw in the social media and uh, it was like is there no other color that is important other than black and white we have so many colors in this world and god has created us in so many shades and tones what about those we need to talk more. If you're talking about diversity, we should include everybody, not just the blacks. Okay, so the generic observation is is that when we walk into this area and we talk about diversity and we're thinking about diversity, if I can say it this way, in somewhat of a positive sense, that there's going to be every tribe and every nation that's going to worship God 
uh, Revelation 5 to 7 gives us this picture. This is where God is taking us. His church is made up of people of diverse backgrounds from every tribe and every nation, etc. So it's important to appreciate the breadth of what it is that God is doing. So I'm, I'm hearing that. And, and so the other question that I have, and this can be for either uh, Ruth or Casey, has anything been different in the last year? Have you gone uh, – I guess the way to ask is, have you gone from being mostly invisible to all of a sudden becoming visible in some sense? And, and if so, in what sense? And I'm thinking about the last year or so, or is it still pretty much the ghost existence? Well, it's interesting, Daryl, that um, that you mentioned that because I resonate with a lot of the ghost things that they were talking about because I actually am uh, – yeah, my dad is Chinese, but my mom is Hispanic. And so still, in a black and white conversation, <laughs> those two are not represented. And so um, I agree. I think that the conversations are, are coming to light a little bit more, but I still feel more of the um, – that there's still more work to be done. There were – you know, books and uh, conversations about like, how do like blacks and whites enter into this conversation about racial reconciliation and what is the Christian's role and how do we bring the gospel to bear on this situation? But yeah, I think that there's still work to be done as far as like, okay, what about, you know, other people who are involved? Okay. So I, I think we've established pretty much as a theme that oftentimes when we think about race, um, Asian and Asian Americans, one, one, are not seen, and two, the actual complexity of what that category supposedly represents. It, it, I mean, if you're unseen, you probably don't appreciate that second layer at all. Uh, and so that becomes uh, an issue and a tension to deal with. Um, Andrew, I'm going to ask you. I'm, 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 I'm actually fishing for something. I'm surprised it hasn't come up, to be honest. And that is, has anything been different in the last year or not? Well, I mean, we've been in the pandemics over the last 18 months. So um, it's been a little bit different. I, I wouldn't say for me personally, hasn't, I haven't experienced anything out of the norm. Okay. All right. Well, I can chime in here a little okay. bit because I think what we've seen with, uh, with the COVID um, pandemic on some level has sparked some uh, racial discrimination and, and hate against uh, Chinese people and other Asian people. But I think what we're seeing is for, for some people in terms of discrimination, um, really nothing has changed for us. But I think what we're seeing more in the news is that for other people, um, things have changed and things are, seem to be very different from them. for them. There is a Filipino news site called Rappler, and they recently had an article called uh, What It's Like to be Filipino-American in a Time of Hate. And really the story um, was, was really uh, nothing. A, a woman was out in Michigan walking her dog, and she's like, a guy came up to her and put his mask down, and she's like, okay, here we go. And she was getting ready to be verbally assaulted or physically assaulted, and the guy just wanted to make small talk with her. And what I thought was interesting about that article is that some people have seen um, the news stories that have been um, uh, put out there on social media. There's hashtag Stop Asian Hate, uh, the New York story recently about the, uh, the convicted murderer who had, who had killed his own mom uh, was out and, and brutally uh, murdered a 65-year-old Asian woman in New York on her way to church. So you see these things, and I think for some people, they are living with more fear because whether or not they have experienced that kind of discrimination, um, they're seeing it um, discussed in the news and, and on social media. Uh, no doubt some people have um, 
experience an uptick in in prejudice. But I think for many Asians, um, we see these things on the news, but we don't experience them uh, in our own lives. Hmm. So there's kind of a, a, a two kinds of experiences, at least in that regard. So uh, Ruth, let me ask you this question: how how would how would you or what would you say? to someone who here is hearing this and maybe even be hearing it for the first time the light light may even be going on um, what would you what would you say to them what advice would you give them to help help us all be uh, more sensitive to these realities um, I think what is uh, what I see really is um, a lack of emotional caution in the way we interact with each other. Um, and, and the scripture clearly says, Jesus says, uh, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. Somehow, we know all our scriptures, Bible verses, Sunday school, that's been taught to us in the Sunday school, but when it comes to practicing it at the moment that's required, somehow we just simply toss it out of the window. Um, and Added to that is the fact that we are not sensitive to the to the person. We are not present in the moment for that person. We do not engage in active listening. We do not engage in the fact that this person has a story, you know, regardless of his skin or her skin color. Uh, there's much beyond that. We we look at the person more. Uh, as an object rather than the whole being. So, you know, there's a lot of things in that, uh, Dr. Buck, when you asked me, I could go on, on, on and on. But these two things I would say is that we really need to develop our emo emotional quotient, first thing. And the second thing is really, really practice treating others as we would let them treat us. Would you, would you say that um, one of the transfers of thinking needs to be that we, perhaps we tend to work out of stereotypes that we have and we need to work more personally with the person we're interacting with. It, might that be a way to say it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Casey, uh, same, basically the same question. What, what advice would you give to someone who is um, kind of hearing this and saying, gosh, uh, one, I may have never thought of it. And two, or, and two, this is kind of interesting to hear. Um, what advice would you give? Right. I would say that there's a, a way to ask good questions just to learn more about people, sort of like Ruth was talking about, getting to know the, the person and not just, as you mentioned, Daryl, the stereotype or your preconceptions or anything like that. So I would say not to make assumptions based on the way that people look. I think we've heard even just in this conversation that, uh, yeah, the way that people look doesn't necessarily indicate, you know, what you might think where, about where someone's from or what language they speak or what language they don't speak. And so I've seen that a lot with, um, yeah, with my students as far as some international students or some who um, have immigrant parents or anything like that, that, uh, yeah, I think a lot of times um, people make assumptions where really a better response would be to ask a good question or to um, be willing to learn and have the, the humility to think, um, wow, okay, I may not have the answers that I that I um, want to have, but I would love to learn. Andrew, same question, because I think this is a very basic area of, of thinking through the interaction. Yeah, I think all of us have already kind of touched on it, but just the posture. I mean, all of us as minorities, when people come up to us and talk to us, like we can... I mean, 
people know when you're genuine, right? So if you're being genuine and people are trying to uh, talk to you and really actually care about you, I think that that's uh, we're willing to uh, maybe uh, work together, talk together. But if we feel like, hey, you're just trying to uh, uh, get something out of us, to like feel like, hey, we want to. Um, hear the inside scoop on this, what's happening, then we really feel like, well, I don't want to be treated like a project. But I think the posture and then just being inviting, if our other majority friends can say, hey, would be more proactive toward the minority um, minority demographics or be more inviting, I think that would go a long way. Just even uh, going to us rather than always asking us to go to them. Like, I think that idea of just them coming to us rather than us going to them because and even maybe in our culture it's hard for us to go over to the our white american brothers and sisters to share this so uh mikhail uh, the thing that immediately comes to mind is um really asking the uh, a set of uh genuine kind of for lack of a better discussion get to know you questions or or where you're from or what you're about that show a deep personal interest is that a is that a helpful way in yeah, that, that's going to help you um, figure out uh, who this person really is in the same way that you might have a, a Muslim friend or a Buddhist friend, and you don't just go, well, I read a, a book on Islam once, I know everything about you, <laughs> um, uh, to really ask the person what uh, what their experience is. Because, um, for example, my mom's actually a Filipino Chinese also, so I have that in my background. Um, I'm not your stereotypical uh, first generation, but I'm actually not second gen. So I call myself 1.5 gen. I just made that up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So someone talking to me may assume that I just grew up in the United States my whole life. And there's a lot of things I still actually don't get about American culture and some things uh, that I still find very movie-like in the sense like I've only seen these situations in the movies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, but then also for on, on our side, and, and by R, I mean generically the Asian side. If uh, we also need to, to be understanding toward people, some people don't mean to microaggress against you. They just, they'll say, you know, people have said to me, Mikhail, you speak really good English. I'm like, okay, oh, thanks. <laughs> um, I'm really curious to learn about your culture. I'm like, okay, you know. Yeah. Um, so sometimes people don't mean anything really negative by it. They, they might be a little ignorant, but um, just to give grace there. Um, but also on the other side to ask people uh, what their experience is, because you can't just assume, um, you know, there's nothing like being asked at a uh, sitting in the exit row on, a, on an airplane. Sir, do you speak English? Because you need to speak English if you're going to sit here. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. So uh, uh, th- uh, this may be a good place to kind of wrap up this first segment. Um, let me ask you, um, Mikkel has shared a couple of things that can kind of happen that are awkward, but that happen. Uh, any other examples? Because this ha- may help people with things they might do unconsciously without being aware of it. Well, I have a, a lot of uh, instances of very uh, funny, humorous questions being asked like, um, so in India, do you have IHOP? Like, of course we have. We have IHOP, we have KFC, we have McDonald's. Oh, do you have a pub in India? Oh, do you have this uh, car brand? I mean, like, they can go on and on and on. It's so funny, you know. I mean, um, 
I'm like, you should come to India. I'm, uh, you should just come to India and visit us and see for yourself with your own eyes what's there. It's not about elephants and snake charmers only. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. You mentioned McDonald's. I've got to tell this story because it's one of my favorite <laughs> Indian stories about when I visit. I hear Mikel laughing. He knows the story. I went into McDonald's because I, I, I when I go to India, I react to the, all the curry. I don't handle curry very well, which means that my diet is very restricted when I go to India. And so I went to McDonald's in the hopes of getting a hamburger, okay, walking into India, an Indian McDonald's and getting a hamburger. And, of course, one of the cultural things that I discovered is some – I don't know if this is true of all McDonald's, but some McDonald's are very sensitive to the Indian culture. So there was no hamburger when I walked into McDonald's. I'm going, what else does McDonald's do but hamburgers? You know, so it, it – it, it shows, and what, of course, it, it showed is I, ha- I hadn't translated the fact that I had gone to India, and in the context of Indian culture, here's what goes on. In Israel, I walk into a McDonald's, and it itself identifies as a kosher McDonald's, uh, you know? And so I'm sitting so going, well, that's interesting. So what, is, what exactly does that mean? So there are these little things that you don't even think about um, that are a part of uh, everyday life for many people, uh, but it's not your everyday life. Casey, you have any examples? I would say I, I think Mikel made a really good point earlier because sometimes I get frustrated by these small things like uh, people have come up to me and just started speaking Chinese, assuming I speak Chinese, um, you know, not knowing obviously that I'm only half Chinese or that I speak more Spanish than I do Chinese. Um, or they ask, you know, like, where are you from? And I'm <laughs> responding, I'm from Houston because that's really where I'm from. <laughs> and uh, people want to know, um, I guess, where my ancestors are from a long time ago. Uh, yeah, even my even my dad's grandfather was born here in the States. And so anyway, I would say that I, uh, I will confess that I get frustrated by those things. But like Mikkel said, I think that, you know, there's a way to respond charitably on both sides where, you know, people – can ask good questions and really like you know have the desire to learn and then also can respond with grace when yeah people don't know so mikhail's a 1.5 but you're a full 4.0 is that right (laughs) exactly that's right (laughs) (laughs) amazing okay uh andrew you want to give it you have any examples that you can think of that because i think this helps people to develop their sensitivities yeah, um, I think just the the communal nature of, uh, of the Eastern culture. I think even just in a classroom setting, I'm, I'm just looking around the room. All of us are students here, and just being being aware that even us on campus, um, like we want to be in a community. So even if uh, either the prof or our um, white American friends would invite us into a conversation, that that would go such a long way. Even just first day of school or summer school is coming up just being inviting, I think that gesture of like bring somebody into the circle. Um, so I would say that's a more positive opportunity rather than um, think of all the things that we have that has happened to us. Very good. Well, I want to thank you all for taking the time to kind of um, introduce this area uh, for people from kind of perhaps a different angle than they're used to thinking about it. I think it's uh, very helpful to think about. Our desire is to build the right kind of community, not just here on the seminary campus, but in our churches. And the more we engage and come to appreciate the different kinds of life experiences and backgrounds that people have, uh, the better off we will be as we relate to people, as we've already suggested, not out of the stereotype, but on a 
person-to-person basis getting to know them. So I want to thank you all for taking the time um, to be with us today. And I also want to thank you for being on the table. We hope you will be uh, back with us again soon. Uh, We uh, look forward to this conversation. We're going to follow up this conversation with a little more detail for uh, for the um, table uh, uh, table plus uh, part of our of our new uh, table experience. And we hope you'll join us uh, there and join us again here on the table soon for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys. You know, a pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just these guys, you know?